Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 533-42 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Wednesday morning? I'm doing great. It's a big football week. I know it's the start of spring practice. That's why we're doing podcasts or the show every single day. Uh, But also with all that NFL news yesterday, I mean, man, I got football fever. I'll tell you what, man, for Jerry Judy, being able to finally get a quarterback in Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's finally going to have an offensive line that, you know, I don't think it's great, but I think that it's shown some promise. I think they got some good young pieces. So hopefully he'll be able to have better protection than he's had there in Seattle. They've really struggled to draft offensive linemen who could adequately pass protect. So uh, maybe giving Russell Wilson a little bit more protection and giving Jerry Judy an upgraded quarterback will work out for the both of them. But i tell you what, it's better than Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. I think we can all agree that Jerry Judy got a pretty significant upgrade at that position. But it wasn't just that. It was also Cam Robinson uh, getting the franchise tag as well. That's right. It's a big deal. I've spent uh, my, my daily uh, Crimson and Coffee piece that comes out um, in the mornings each day. Uh, I, I dedicated the whole thing to Cam. Uh, you know, linemen just don't get the attention that skill guys do, or even pass rushers or DBs who get picks and pick sixes. Offensive linemen sort of toil in anonymity. So I, I sort of felt like we needed to do a, a career review of Cam Robinson, and, and I knew I would find out things that I didn't know by, by doing the deep dive into his career. But uh, with the contract that he will sign as a result of getting a second tag, 
Cam Robinson will have made $37 million playing football since he left Alabama. That's not bad, man. You know, he's been a, a good player. I wouldn't say he's been a great player by any means, but he has been a, a rock solid left tackle. We all have talked about how much better the protection needs to be in front of Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they go out and they draft a guy like Evan Neal at number one overall. You know, I've always kind of wondered if Cam Robinson would do better at right tackle. I think he's more suited for right tackle. But at the same time, Evan Neal was also built like a right tackle. I looked a little bit more comfortable at left tackle this past either year. One, either one of them could play there and be fine. You know, I saw I, I responded to a text yesterday I got when, when this was or, or a tweet and a point that I made of somebody, several Alabama fans saying, well, they tagged Cam Robinson, so I guess we can forget Evan Neal or a tackle going number one. Well, they had Cam Robinson last year. I thought the point was to give Trevor more protection, additional protection. He wasn't protected enough. It seems to me if you're just re-signing what you had, then you haven't improved anything. I mean, if you're going to get protect Trevor, you re-sign your best offensive lineman, and then you bring in others. So I don't think that the talk of, of a tackle going number one is over. Absolutely not. I completely agree. I mean, it, you put it perfectly. You're not improving the offensive line. You're keeping the offensive line the same by hanging on to Cam Robinson. So show me where that improvement happened. Plus, Evan Neal also has the ability to play some guard as well. Uh, right. I think he's probably better suited for tackle because you're – you want to utilize that length, that natural length that he has out there on the perimeter to be able to handle speed or ed, uh, speed off the edges. But, you know, he can play guard. I also think Cam Robinson could kick inside the guard. I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. But uh, I remember they took the Florida tackle, Jawan Taylor. He fell to the second round due to medicals, but he was a very good player. I thought he was going to go top 10 a couple of years ago. Haven't really kept up to see how good or bad he's done, but – He's also, you know, a thickly built guy. Maybe he could kick inside the guard. I certainly just don't think the protection, adding protection for Trevor Lawrence is done by any means. But speaking of protection, we're going to be talking about the offensive line and the defensive lines today for Alabama as spring training gets closer and closer. It's going to be starting on Friday. Then they'll have a small layoff for spring break, and then they'll be back uh, the following Monday for their second practice. Also, we're going to have the SEC tournament starting tonight. You got Missouri playing Ole Miss. That's going to be happening on the SEC network at 6 p.m. And then you got Vanderbilt taking on Georgia at 8 p.m. also on the SEC network. And then tomorrow is when Alabama will play the winner of that game two uh, between Vanderbilt and Georgia. So we got a little basketball going on. Got a lot of NFL stuff, which we've covered at least a little bit. And then we also are going to be talking about the current football roster that Alabama's got going on right now. So, Jimmy, you ready to get things started? Heck yeah. All right. We're going to start with the offensive line and we're not going to spend a ton of time on it because we talked about it quite a bit last week, but I did want to talk about it a little bit more because I did find it to be quite interesting as I'm looking at Alabama's offensive line. I'm having a very tough time placing guys. You know, I, I know that JVN Cohen is going to be a starter. I know Emil, Emil Ikior Jr. is going to be a starter. I don't necessarily know that either one of those two guys are going to be locked into the same spots they were last year. I think they could. I wouldn't be shocked at all if JV and Cohen stayed at left guard and, and EQ or at right guard. But I could also see EQ or kicking over to the left side. Maybe if they decided that they thought that Latham, uh, JC Latham, if he ends up being the guy at right guard, they want to leave him at right guard because that's where he played the most last year. And one of the big issues that I heard that he had was just mastering, you know, the playbook, knowing what he needs to do on a consistent basis, 
if they want to keep him comfortable and leave him at right guard, Ikior could slide over to left guard. He's got plenty of experience in Alabama's system. He knows what he's doing. And then maybe Cohen could kick out to left tackle. He could kick over to right tackle. A lot of different combinations here. But I think that Ikior and Cohen are definitely going to be two starters. We've talked about Seth McLaughlin and Darian Dalcourt. Either one or both of them could end up being starters. So, Jimmy, just this offensive line and the amount, the, the number of combinations that we're looking at, I can't remember a time, in, at least in recent memory, where there's been this much up in the air as far as where, you know, who's going to start, who's going to line up where, with Elijah Pritchett not being on the roster currently. 15 of the 16 scholarship offensive linemen are already in Tuscaloosa, going to be going through spring practice. I think right now, realistically, at least 12 of those 15 have some sort of shot at earning a starting job. What are your thoughts on the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, to, to your point right there, it's very important. There's enough bodies. You know, there's not a depth issue. There's not a uh, or, or, or a number. There are plenty of candidates. So that's what any talk of the transfer portal and the offensive line has to start with that idea. Alabama does not need additional guys to compete for a spot. We got that. There's plenty of that. What Alabama needs is a comfort level in who the starters are. So, so if you are going to the portal, you're only bringing in a guy, ideally, that you know is a starter, that you know can improve the starting lineup. You don't need a, well, we better have a sixth guy because if one of these starters gets hurt, we're screwed. No, you, you don't need a sixth guy. You need a starter. So, so that's one thing. Secondly, and this is more of a hint of a bad note, I, I don't know exactly. If I knew exactly and could report it or tell it, I would. But I think this is just something to watch out for. And I'm partially basing this on history and not just inside scoop. But, you know, I wouldn't assume to the listeners of this show, I wouldn't assume that all 15 guys are going to be healthy and out there this spring. Um, first of all, they almost never are. <laughs> almost never. Secondly, a big problem with the offensive line last fall was the injury situation. Darian Dalcourt was hurt and couldn't play. Emil Ekior missed all of last spring and then sort of played gimped up you know, through the fall. Uh, that's just two names. Other guys were hurt as well. And if you were hurt and had surgery, it's a little much for us to assume they're going to be out there this spring. And again, I'm not naming names. I'm not reporting. I don't even know specifically. As a matter of fact, as, as, in all honesty, I don't know that a player is going to miss any spring practice. I'm just told that that's something that, that, that we need to factor in in all these discussions is, these 15 guys may not be out there this spring. We'll probably find out Friday or the week after spring break if we have offensive linemen in black shirts that are just not going to participate this spring. We'll, we'll know soon. Uh, now, that said, for purposes of today's discussion, we need to assume that all these guys will be healthy and competing. And, and exactly like you said, Clint, I would start with the idea that Echior is going to start. He, he'll be a four-year starter. Javion Cohen was a first-year starter last year, and he wasn't great. He wasn't perfect. He was far. I doubt his name came up when there was the big discussion of who made the all SEC teams. I, I don't think Cohen's name came up and that's fine. It was, he was a true sophomore in his first year starting, but though, but he played good enough to, to, to where you could think, wow, Cohen's going to be a quality lineman in this league at some point. He'll be good. So mm -hmm. Cohen and Ekior, that's two. We have two experienced centers in McLaughlin and Dalcourt. Maybe neither one are awesome, but at least they're experienced and played in games that against good competition that Alabama won. So 
those four guys give you some level of comfort. But beyond those four, Clint, Alabama, somebody new is going to have to step up. Somebody new is going to have to win a spot, whether that's Terrence Ferguson, whether that's J.C. Latham, whether it's Tommy Brockermeyer, or even a veteran like Amari Kite or Kendall Randolph. But someone new is going to have to win one, if not two spots to solidify this offensive line. Yeah, and that's where I'm at with it, too. I completely agree. And it's just difficult because we know that really if guys were locked into their spots from last year pretty much and then you were searching for new guys, then, yeah, left guard would be shored up with uh, JV and Cohen. And I think that he actually played pretty well. I don't think he was fantastic, like kind of like you said. I don't think he was great or elite or anything like that. But I thought for being a first-year starter, he was pretty good. And I would assume that he's going to continue to get better. I saw enough on tape to tell me this guy's moving in the right direction. He's going to end up being a heck of a player for Alabama. Right guard, Emil Ikior Jr., we talked about it last year. He took a little bit of a step back, mostly because you're not playing between Evan Neal and, and Landon Dickerson. There at right guard, you had a kind of a rotational or revolving door at center. And then you also had a revolving door at right tackle with Damian George and Chris Owens and even saw a little bit of Amari Kite. So point being, he took a little bit of a step back, but he's a steady starter. I do think it's very positive that you know he's gone from 324 pounds all the way down to 307 when i first saw that i was like did he get sick and they, i mean because that's a substantial amount of weight but i just think that with alabama's offense and the style that they're moving to you need to be able to run block and they're going to continue to run the football but first and foremost keep bryce young protected you got to be athletic enough and you got to be in shape enough and you know i think that a lot of that 17 pound loss was by design so you know, and I can't say that definitively. I'm just assuming, but I think he's probably going to look in really good shape if I had to guess. And I think he's going to continue to take a step forward. He took a little bit of a step back. Now it's time to let things swing back the other way. Seth McLaughlin or Darian Dalcourt at center. Either way, I think Alabama's got two pretty good options. I really like the way what makes me lean towards McLaughlin is the rest of the offensive line with his presence just seem to play better. They seem to yeah. get it. You know, his communication skills, you know, I don't really know what it is. Just he gelled with a lot of the, in, you know, both interior guys for sure, as far as working on combo blocks, working up to the second level. And, you know, part of that could be Dowcourt was dealing with injury. You know, if you're, you know, worried about that or thinking about that, trying to play through it, maybe that hinders your communication ability because you're thinking too much about other stuff. Maybe it was, you know, I don't, I mean, he wasn't on the field at times. I don't really know what the issue was with Dowcourt. He played okay at times, but I think there was more probably bad than good, at least compared to what we're used to seeing from Alabama offensive linemen. But either way, I think whoever ends up winning that job, they'll both get better, and they'll be fine at center. So if everything stays the same, their interior spots are locked in, and I think they got you know a good trio of guys who are going to be starting regardless of who starts at center. The question is at tackle. You know, who is going to go where? I mean, it's possible that JV and Cohen could kick out to left tackle. Um, I've talked about that quite a bit. I know you have too. You know, it's possible that J.C. Latham, who was a five-star offensive tackle, very athletic, kicks, you know, out to left tackle. I'll be curious to see if that ends up happening because, you know, not only will he be going from guard to tackle, but also going from the right side predominantly to the left side. Will he have issues with that, especially when he's got to start handling SEC speed off the edge? It could be Tyler Booker. Uh, the true freshman, he could start at left or right tackle. Amari Kite, you know, he could start at left or right tackle. Damian George, 
you know, really struggled with speed, especially against Auburn in that Iron Bowl. But he's dropped a little bit of weight, gone from 339 to 333. That should help. They probably want him to continue to drop some weight, get down to that 320, 325 range if possible. But he's heading in the right direction. The reason that I'm not bringing up the Terrence Ferguson's of the world and the Jaden Roberts is because right now I'm just assuming that guys are going to stay on the interior where they were last year. And Roberts is, you know, he's going to play an interior spot, Terrence Ferguson interior. And so if all those things stay the same, we're really looking at tackle prospects and Tommy Brockermeyer should, should certainly be brought into that conversation as well. But just what do you think about the tackle options? And do you think a guy like uh, Vanderbilt transfer Tyler Steen is going to be a guy that Alabama is forced to turn to when they bring him in on a visit later this month? Well, the beauty of it is Coach Wolford, the new offensive line coach, he gets a look at these offensive, the young offensive tackles. You got to make a quick decision before Steen gets here, but but you get a few practices to, to where you can ask yourself, can I win all the SEC games I need to win with this guy at tackle? And if you feel that you've got a guy you can win with, then you don't need to add Steen. Uh, but if you start the practices and you're like, wow, we're just not good enough at tackle, then you definitely bring in steam. So I, I think the early look at the early practices gives Alabama at least a brief look at how much progress the young tackles have made I, I, uh, or even how much progress the older tackles have made. It's a developmental spot. It shouldn't shock anyone. I'll just throw out a name. It shouldn't shock people if Amari Kite is all of a sudden ready to go. Let's remember Amari was a national top 100 prospect uh, and, and he was expected to be a good player. It shouldn't surprise us that, it, that he becomes one. It might have just taken a bit longer. When, now, we thought a J.C. Latham, a Tommy Brockermeyer might be really good right off the bat. Maybe they weren't for one reason or another, but it's been a year in the program. Maybe there's a better understanding of the scheme. Maybe people are bigger, stronger, uh, a little tougher, uh, and, and are just better players. So, there's a number of candidates, uh, Kendall Randolph, that a lot of people blow off. Let's remember this. Kendall Randolph has the staff's trust. We know this because he plays with the first team. People don't think of that as first team, but it's literally the first team. Kendall Randolph comes in in short yardage and goal line situations with Bryce Young and Brian Robinson. And he's been doing it for two or three years. You know, So that means the staff trusts him to know his assignment and get the assignment done. He was the first team right tackle all through spring practice a year ago. It certainly wouldn't surprise me to see Kendall Randolph a year older, a year stronger, a year better. He could win a tackle spot. Now, you know, gun to head right now, if you're like, that's it, everybody put five bucks in a hat, everybody say, who are your starting tackles versus Utah State in September? Uh, my answer to that might surprise you, but if we're betting, uh, real American dollars and not Russian rubles because we can, we can bet a billion of those. They're not worth anything. Uh, but if we're betting real American dollars, uh, I think Alabama's starting tackles against Utah State will be Tyler Steen and J.C. Latham. Okay, that, that's, that is very interesting because um, that was where I was going to go next is now it's time to – and I said I wasn't going to do this, but spring <laughs> training is only days away, and so – I'm going to do it because everybody I've gotten so many direct messages with people asking me, who are you going with? Who are you predicting? 
And it's I've I've given some variation of the exact same answer the entire time, and that is I don't know. I don't think you should be worried about options because they got plenty of them. But just knowing where they line up, I think it's a tinkering process. You know, I think we have this idea of how it's supposed to look based off of, you know, J.C. Latham was a, a consensus top tackle prospect coming out last year, very athletic player. You would just assume that guy's going to be your left tackle. You just assume that a guy like, and really it's a bunch of them, but I mean, a guy like Tyler Booker could come in and because of his, you know, pedigree, the fact that he plays with a very physical, nasty demeanor, he kind of feels to me like a right tackle. I've kind of made some comparisons a little bit. I think he came in quite a bit heavier than Jedrick Wills did, but I like you know his, his athleticism enough, but I also feel like the nastiness that he plays with is very similar to Jedrick Wills, and Wills was just a heck of a presence at right tackle for Alabama for multiple seasons. At the same time, who knows? JV and Cohen, like I said, wouldn't be shocked at all if they said, you know what, we actually like your ability to kick out. We think you're athletic enough. You're 6'4", you're not extremely tall, you're not extremely long, but I, his arm length looks fine. I mean, it's very hard to tell. You would actually have to measure it, but, I mean, I don't doesn't look like he has super short arms when he's been bench-pressing interior defensive linemen off of him on film and stuff like that. But, you know, if that happens, then it's like, okay, now we need to start talking about, you know, Terrence Ferguson or maybe J.C. Latham playing inside at guard or maybe Jaden Roberts, who I thought was surprised. I mean, he was listed as a co-backup at right guard ahead of some pretty good players last year as a true freshman. I think the coaching staff likes him, and he's another guy that's gone. You know, I want to say that he's dropped quite – yeah, I mean, he dropped more weight than pretty much anybody. He went from being 6'5", 328 pounds as a freshman, to 6'5", 302 pounds. So he's lost 26 pounds. He's a lot more in that range now where he's, you know, if, if he's lost weight, he's probably more athletic. He can move better with Alabama and their style of offense now. If I had to guess – for the first practice, for the very first practice on Friday, and I don't even know if we'll get these reports. I don't know if they're going to let us into practice. They may. They may not. We'll see. Uh, I need to actually probably try to figure that out. I would love to be able to attend. But if I, if you were to say, name your starting five right now, I will give you my best guess both for Friday. For Friday, and then I'll also go for uh, Utah State. For Friday, I will say – J.C. Latham at left guard, or excuse me, at left tackle, J.V. and Cohen at left guard, Seth McLaughlin at center, Emil Ikeo at right guard, and I will say Kendall Randolph takes the first snap at right tackle. If you are to say, okay, what about Utah State? Leave all those things the same, which I highly doubt is going to happen, except I'm going to predict that Tyler Booker ends up being the starting right tackle. And if he doesn't against Utah State, see, I like the fact that it's Utah State. If it was Miami or it was you know, Florida State or some of these other games they've played in the first game of the season where you're a little bit more concerned, you probably want to go with a veteran, the guy that you know who's not going to screw it up and lose you that football game. If they feel confident going in and Tyler Booker is playing well and he's gotten the entire spring to, you know, maybe drop a little bit of that weight, and who knows, they might even play Tyler Booker at guard. You know, we might see him on Friday and you're like, Clint, you predicted him to play tackle. He's not even playing that spot. He's playing guard and he's the backup. I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. But like I said, by Utah State with all that time, I'm going to guess that if he continues to progress, I, I was so impressed with his going from junior to senior tape and just the steady development, the steady progress of heading in the right direction, things that I had concerns with, you know, with hand placement and things like that as a junior, I wasn't seeing that stuff. in the. And I get very limited tape on high school prospects. I got to do a lot of digging. 
I got a guy who can get me some stuff and I can watch them all 22. It's not on every prospect and that might be going away. I really hope that it doesn't, but as long as I can watch these guys, I can get a, a decent feel, but it, sometimes it's like, okay, I only get two games on this prospect. Sometimes only one, but with him, I did see positive development with hand placement, with playing with better leverage, playing with better pad level. And as long as he continues to improve and head in the right direction, I think he could be a, an early starter for Alabama. But at the same time, if you had asked me last year, do you think J.C. Latham can be an early starter? I would have said, heck yeah, I really do. I think he could end up playing right tackle. In fact, I think I predicted it. And what you don't know is how much, you know, how quickly a guy can pick up an offense, the schemes, the blocking style, you know, working with other guys. Those are things that I can't answer. So those are my predictions. We'll see what ends up happening. Now, granted, the one that I'm not ready to predict yet but I do think it is very, very possible that you are correct, that Tyler Steen does end up getting offered, does end up coming to Alabama, and if that happens, everything will change for me because there's no way that Tyler Steen's coming in to be a backup. He's going to be a starter somewhere, and I would probably say that would be left tackle because he's got experience there and they're looking for a veteran presence. And then in that instance, I would probably say J.C. Latham at right tackle. So right. That's what I got right now. Jimmy, anything else to add on the offensive line? Super quick, based on what you said, which is such a good point. I almost want to boil it down. I love making things simple. Sometimes you make simple, you're just so far off. But, but I, I want to make this, uh, to, to me, it's almost simple. I think the key with Steen is Booker. I, I mean, I, I think it's yep. almost that simple. I, I, I think it's like we got three practices or so to figure out. <laughs> three practices for Wolford for Bill O'Brien and for Nick Saban to decide in three practices, can we get Booker ready to be a starting right tackle this fall? And if the answer to that is yes, then you don't bring in steam. You'll, you'll figure out left tackle or, or, or play Booker there or just kick Cohen there or Latham is there. Uh, if we, if, if Booker is a starting tackle, forget steam. If Booker's not ready, if Booker's like, he needs a year in the weight room or he needs a year learning to block somebody as good as Keanu Coat. If, if, if Booker's not ready, I, I don't know that I want to depend on what we already got to definitely be the tackles this fall. So I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's 100% accurate, but to me that's mostly accurate. Booker is the key to whether you bring in steam. And here's where I am concerned. If it is – I just – I don't know where the weight came from. You know, now he's sitting up there at 6'5", 332 pounds. He came in heavier than I thought. Was that by right. design? Do they plan to play him on the interior of the offensive line? If that is the goal, then, you know, okay. If it was more of him just showing up like freshmen do, it happens. It's, it's not that big of a deal. DJ Fluker ended up being a heck of a player for Alabama, but he came in heavy. I'll never forget getting told the story, um, and I won't tell who told me, but he had had sh uh, shoulder surgery. He had his arm in a sling. He was not expecting that summer to participate in, like, the fourth quarter program. Uh, because he was still recovering from the shoulder stuff. The first day of fourth quarter program, Cochran's walking out there on the field. He's like, Fluker, you know, fluke, whatever. Uh, get ready, you're, you're participating. And he about died because he was about 375. 300, I mean, I heard he was really big. I, I won't put an exact weight on it because I could be, you know, way off on that. But I want to say he was heavy. And it took him a while to get in shape. I mean, he ended up redshirting his freshman year, ended up being a heck of a player for Alabama. And trust me, 332 pounds is not that big of a deal for Tyler Booker. But if it was just some freshman bad weight, okay, you got to get that off. 
you know, how does he look as he's making that transition? Does he look a little sluggish? These are questions that I can't answer. He might be in great shape at 332 pounds. I don't know. But that's why it's very hard to make these predictions before spring training even starts because you don't even know what the baseline is for a first-year guy like Tyler Booker. And as right. we get into practice and you're hearing about where he's, you know, where he's lining up, you know, which team is he with, if he's down there with a the third and fourth team and we're halfway through spring or three-fourths of the way through spring, highly doubt he's making that climb before the, the Utah State game. But, you know, if he's always already working as a second-team right tackle, he's looking pretty good. You know, it's like, okay, I could see him maybe stepping up and ending up earning that starting job at some point in the near future. Anyways, we'll move to the defensive side of the football, the defensive on the other side of the trenches. And this is a spot that is a lot more certain uh, as far as your starters are concerned. Got some questions about depth and rotation, but Jimmy, what do you think about Alabama's defensive line going into Friday? First of all, there's a ton of guys, an, an absolute ton. As of right now, there's 15. We, we, we really feature three spots. It can get technical that we really have four or five defensive line positions, you know, five technique, three technique. Guard is what we do when we're in an even man front. This is what we do when we're odd man front. But, but in essence, we have three spots. And we have 15 guys for those three spots. That's, that's, that's a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some attrition uh, after the spring there as, as guys just don't feel like they're getting enough reps. With, with that sort of a crowd. So that's one thing. Secondly, um, this is what, this is how I look at it and, and feel free for everybody out there listening to look at it differently. This just helps me. I see the defensive line in three groups and, and that's how I, I come up with what I think the rotation might look like. The first group is veterans who have played with the first team. We have four of them. We have four guys who not only played last year with the first team, they've been playing a couple years with the first team, Byron Young, Justin Aboigby, DJ Dale, Tim Smith. All four of those guys have started games. They've all played first team snaps against the best teams we play. They've all proven to be at some level or another dependable. Uh, what they haven't proven, any of them, frankly, is that they're great. We had not seen greatness out of any of the four. I would say we've seen goodness of, of all of them. They're all good SEC linemen, uh, it would really be helpful if one or more took a big step towards great, sort of like what Phil Mathis did in his junior and senior year, where he took another step, where Mathis became one of the better defensive linemen in the SEC. Uh, we really need someone like a Byron Young, like a Tim Smith, to become that guy, at least. But, but that's one group. The veterans that we know I think we're comfortable in saying we know those four will be part of the first team rotation. A second group that I would put at the very bottom is the true freshmen. It's not a position where true freshmen normally stand out. I can only name off the top of my head one true freshman at Alabama that played the defensive line that was really, really good right away, and that was Jonathan Allen, uh, and look where he is now. Um, I, I rarely anticipate a defensive lineman showing up and just winning a spot as a freshman Plus, we have 15 in the room. So I put Curtis Perry, Isaiah Hastings, and uh, Jaheim Otis, even though two of them are there this spring. Uh, I I'll be surprised if they're significant players in the fall, just simply because there's too many. They're brand new. Curtis Perry has to get bigger. Otis has to get smaller. Hastings has to learn the rules. He might not know the difference between second down and overtime. I mean, you know, Hastings haven't been playing football very long. So all, all three of those guys look like a, a redshirt year would really kind of help them anyway. 
that leaves the third group, which is the interesting one. To me, uh, I'm going to borrow a phrase from Dabo Sweeney and call that third group the rest of y'all. And by the rest of y'all, what I mean is everybody that was on the team last year that hasn't played with the first team. Those would be guys like Stephon Wynn, Braylon Ingram, Damon Payne, Monkel Goodwine, Tim Keenan. There's a long list. I'm leaving a couple out because there's, there's, there's a lot of guys. But off the, off the top of my head, there would be uh, eight of these guys, uh, Latham, Jamil Burroughs, who has been on the team but has not played the first team. We need those guys to go from contributor to good, and we need the good players, those guys in the first group, to go to great. All that happens, we're pretty awesome up front. But my concerns are this, so many players who's getting the reps, two, our good players are good but haven't proven to be great. And the real question for me this spring is, who among all of these groups takes big steps this spring? Because while the defensive line is good, it's not a liability. I don't care what anybody says. Our defensive line is not a liability. But it can be better. So we need guys to make a next step. I'm not asking Damon Payne to go from red shirt to first team all SEC. I'm just saying the contributing group, the rest of y'all, some, somebody's got to step forward and be good. Hey, you good players, a boy be young, Dale Smith, somebody's got to step up and be great. So that's what I'm looking forward to this spring. It's a great way to break it down. I have on my notes here, I have it listed a little bit differently, but it's the same concept. I went ahead and kind of said, okay, starters, you know, Byron Young, DJ Dale, Justin Aboybe. Now, here's the thing. That's not a guarantee. That's just who I put up there. Secondly, we talk about three spots. In a lot of scenarios, it's two because you're going right. to see – Dallas Turner and Will Anderson Jr. as two of the four defensive linemen in a four-man front. But, you know, when you talk about depth charts and things like that, I would say those are probably your listed three starters. They're veterans. They've been there. This is now going to be their fourth years in the system. They've seen a lot of snaps over the years, you know, well over 1,000 snaps. Probably all of them have seen well over 1,000 snaps total when they're, you know, so far in their three years. And then you got Tim Smith, who I have as a key rotational guy. And I put a slash next to his name. And I couldn't come up with anybody else that I felt comfortable putting in that category. Now, here's the thing. I went back and I looked, and there's a couple of things that I noticed. In 2021, six defensive linemen saw 150-plus snaps. There was only one player of those six that didn't see more than 265-plus snaps, and that was LeBron Ray. He was banged up for a majority of the – or not for a majority of the year, but to start the season, he only had 209 snaps. But Alabama had five different players – on the, you know, interior defensive linemen is how I would refer to them, even though they play out on the edge a little bit too. But five guys who played 265 plus snaps in 2020, there was seven of those players, five who had 265 plus snaps again, two who had 150 or more, and that was Tim Smith and LeBron Ray, also banged up again for LeBron Ray in 2019. Yet again, six players, five who had 265 plus snaps. And one, Justin Aboigby, who had 150-plus. He had 217. So my point is, we have four guys we've identified, and really we probably need to identify at least two more because based off of trends, they typically like to get, you know, these guys aren't playing 800 snaps like Will Anderson's going to do or maybe Dallas Turner's getting up there in the six or 700 range. The most snaps that I saw a defensive lineman have in the last three years was Raekwon Davis in 2019 had 637 
Um, last year, the highest snap, or excuse me, not last year, but 2020, was Christian Barmore with 478. Last year, as Fedarian Mathis was 547. So that's roughly about, you know, Phil, Big Phil last year, he played about 55% of the snaps, 54%, somewhere in that range. That's, you know, that's that's a good amount. Um, but you're just, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be in that 300 to 350 range as far as their snaps. Does Alabama confine that a little bit more, limit it to just four players, especially if they're playing Dallas Turner or Will Anderson a lot more? Or is it still going to be, you know, six or seven guys? I think at the very least it's going to be five. So who was that fifth player? Who's going to get action, 150-plus snaps, 200-plus snaps, 250-plus snaps? And I think Stephon Wynn, with him being a redshirt senior, he would be a candidate. He had 68 snaps last year. Maybe he's that guy. Maybe it's a Jamil Burroughs, who in 2020, last year he took a step back, but as a freshman in 2020, he had 65 snaps. Could it be a guy who has, you know, some pass rushing upside, a Monkel Goodwin, a Damon Payne, you know, maybe a Curtis Perry as a true freshman, maybe he can get in that mix. There are so many options, but with your defensive line, that is one trend that I noticed is the rotation, the number of guys they like to use. And then also it would be the amount that a player weighs. Jimmy, can you tell me the last player to weigh 330 plus pounds to see a hundred snaps for Alabama in a season on the defensive front? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a tough one. I wouldn't have been able to tell you, by the way. I'm sure it would be wrong. I'm sure it would be wrong, but I wouldn't be shocked if we had to go all the way back to Terrence Cody. It is. It, first of all, it has not happened often, and I don't remember exactly what. Oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Aussie Jesse uh, Williams. Jesse Williams kept kept wanting to call him Jesse Davis. He's a tackle for the <laughs> Miami Dolphins, when, and I could not figure out the last name. But Jesse Williams. I don't remember if he was 330 plus pounds. I want to say he was in the 320 range, like 323, yeah. something like yeah, that. I don't remember being quite that heavy. Tavita Musica in 2019 at 338 pounds is what he was listed at. He saw 118 snaps. That is not a lot. And you just don't see that many big body defense alignment in, in today's college football for Alabama seeing significant snaps. You look at Tim Smith, came in at 320 pounds as a freshman, and he did see some snaps, didn't see a ton but he did see some snaps. Now he's at 304, so he's lost 16 pounds. You look at a guy like Jamil Burroughs, who as a true freshman did see 60, you know, what do we say, 65 snaps. He was weighing 326 pounds back then. Now he's weighing 309 pounds, so he's lost 17 pounds. So all these guys who are sitting up there in that 320, 330 range, they like to get them down there close to 300 pounds. You know, we've seen... And then if you're, you know, a guy, they also are adding weight. You know, Justin Aboyby goes from 285 to 292. You know, Damon Payne went from 297 to 303. They really like their defensive lineman to be like between that 300 and 310 range typically. Uh, Or I would say 290 and 310. That's kind of the sweet spot for them. People that are telling me, you know, I think Jaheim Otis is going to play, you know, some in certain packages and goal line packages and stuff as as a true freshman. Maybe, but I highly doubt it because he's way out of that range. And that doesn't mean that there aren't certain situations where having him out there would be beneficial, but we just, that would be such a rarity. We don't really, now granted, they don't recruit defensive linemen that big really anymore. So just recruiting him, you know, and he's very athletic for his size, don't get me wrong, but I think that they're going to want him before he's, they're ready to put him out there. I think they want him below 350, 340 maybe even. Uh, And that's going to take some time, but who is that player? That's the question that we need to answer in the spring. That's one of the big questions. Who is that? 
I would say that there's going to be five. And it might not be the same as, you know, six or seven because of the more snaps going to the outside linebackers. But who was that fifth guy? So, Jimmy, do you have any sort of prediction on who that fifth guy might be? Uh, today, uh, today, my prediction would be if we're adding one or two to, to make it a six-man rotation and not four, um, my best bets would be Jamil Burroughs and Jamarian Latham, uh, who are a combination of uh, more experienced, older kids who have been in the program, but still young in the sense that uh, they, they ain't given up on those guys. I, 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 th- I think that, that they, they both have flashed significant upside. As a matter of fact, last spring, it's just a day, which is a practice, but uh, it looked to me like Latham was one of the best defensive linemen on the field. He might even won line MVP or certainly was in the contention for it. But uh, I, I think Burroughs and Latham could be uh, two guys that, that could, uh, that could make a step. That's what I'd predict. I would love it if it was like Payne and Keenan or Payne and Goodwine. I would love that. But again, uh, I just urge everybody to remember that that some kids, if not most kids, it's a one year at a time, a one step at a time development. Uh, Saban has just spoiled us with these guys that show up great. Uh, a few of them do because we're Alabama and Nick Saban is coaching the program, but that, that is not normal. Yeah, and I'm having a, a tough time here, man. It's kind of at least we have the top four figured out. You know, yep. I think that's a great starting point. And I think pretty much every offseason, you're going to have these questions with your depth. You know, who's going to be this guy? Who's going to be that guy? I'm looking at this list, and there's nobody that stands out uh, above any of the others, really. You know, like I said, I'd probably go, if you're going with five, I'd probably just say Stefan Wynn because that's not a whole lot, you know, more snaps than he saw last year uh, at 68. You know, you double that up. And I think if it's Wynn, it will be like 125 to 150 snaps. If a player, and I'm, I'm identifying three guys, and here's the thing, Byron Young, decent pass rusher. Uh, Justin be decent pass rusher. Tim Smith, decent pass rusher. Have some upside, I guess, is the better way to put it for those three. If they take a step forward and they can become that Christian Barmore or Fedarian Mathis, none of them are going to become Quentin Williams pass rushing. It's it's not happening. But if you can get Fedarian Mathis was a great pass rusher last year. Christian Barmore and the you know couple of years before that, Good, solid interior pass rusher. If you can get one of those three guys to give you a complimentary interior pass rush to complement what you're going to have on the outside, then I think that, you know, that fifth defensive lineman can be more of a run-stopping presence, just another guy in the rotation because they know in third and long situations, they've got a guy, you know, Byron Young is going to be that interior pass rusher. Justin be Tim Smith, whoever it ends up being, they've got that on lock. So they're not really focused. If they're struggling to get an interior pass rush, that's where I start to look at some of these guys. And I got three in mind and I've talked about them a lot already, but I'll say I'm predicting that Monkel Goodwin, Damon Payne, or Curtis Perry, one of those three is going to see significant interior pass rushing snaps. Now Perry, because he's 264 pounds, really, I mean, with where he's checking in and just from a body type perspective, it's like, do you really, I mean, he might be too small at this point. Like he's a good pass rusher and he could be a good interior pass rusher, but at 264 pounds, you almost would have him out there on the edge, you know, rather than, you know, playing, you know, there's a, there's a six pound difference between Perry and Jeremiah Alexander. And that's another one, by the way, that I've thought about. It's like, 
dude, with, with him being at 258, or should we be looking at Jeremiah Alexander as more of a Courtney Upshaw, or should we be looking at him as more of a Jonathan Allen? Because Jonathan Allen was 6'3", 260 coming out of high school, and he ended up getting up there at the 280, 285, 290 range. And, and I don't think that that's going to happen. I think he's going to be an edge rusher, but I wonder, it's like, is it by design they're putting some weight on him? Maybe he can be an interior pass rusher, and you can get all three of those cats on the field at the same time as far as Dallas Turner, Jeremiah Alexander, and Will Anderson. That's another possibility. You just never know. But I, it's all going to be dependent on what the interior pass rush looks like because I think that's where Alabama's defense, and I've said it before, they're, it's at its best historically when you've got good pass rush on the outside and this year all of them is going to have a leak pass rush on the outside but then you also have the complimentary pass rush inside that when quarterbacks are having to step up in the pocket because guys are crashing off the edge there's a guy there who's ready to clean up and take advantage of it and they've had it they had it last year the deeps to front really improved when Fidarian Mathis started commanding that attention and getting that recognition he was good on the interior and uh, Alabama finally had it down the stretch when they started getting a lot of sack production from Dallas Turner so that's all I got. Jimmy, is there anything you uh, else you want to add as far as the defensive line before we hop out of here? No, I think so. I think we uh, we covered it really well. Again, a lot of bodies. And, and the funny thing is, though, there are, I don't think they're in big numbers, but there are Alabama fans out there concerned about the defensive line. Just think of this. I know you don't think much of, uh, maybe maybe as a fan, you don't think much of Byron Young or a Boyd B or Dale or Tim Smith because none of them have played like all SEC players yet. But uh, just think of what the situation is on Alabama's defensive line versus the situation at offensive tackle. Alabama's got four proven defensive linemen that have proven to be good. They've proven that they're good. We don't have a tackle that's proven to be good, not, not, not one. So if you're down on the defensive line, I don't see how you sleep at night over offensive tackle. <laughs> uh, uh, and my point of that is that we don't need to worry about the defensive line. It, it needs to be better. It can be better. I hope that we have several players that improve this spring and fall and, and make us even better. But the defensive line is fine. And, and the linebackers and DBs are just fantastic. 100%. Yeah, there's question marks, things that need to get answered. But Alabama's got options in the trenches on both sides of the football. They just got to find the right guys. And it's difficult at this point in time outside of just predicting those top four on defense and then predicting, you know, that we think we have a pretty good idea uh, at who's good, at least a couple of the starters on the offensive line, maybe up to three, maybe up to four, I guess, if you get McLaughlin at left guard, maybe Cohen at tackle, Dowcourt at center, and then Ikior at, at right guard. So I guess up to four, maybe that could end up happening. But I think we can safely assume we know who roughly three of the five are going to be. But there's question marks enough where they got to get them answered. They got options. But this is a national championship caliber team and roster. Just got to find the right combination. So, Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. This has been fun. We'll be back tomorrow. I think we're going to be talking about the off-ball linebackers and the running backs. Two Excellent. very fun positions. Running backs pretty deep. Off-ball linebacker. You know, you got one starter already locked in. Who's going to be that other starter? Going to be a great conversation. Can't wait for that. And uh, we appreciate it, everybody listening in. This is always, you know, we, we've gotten a lot of great feedback as far as the position previews and as far as the podcast. And we're trying to get that content up as much as we possibly can. But we certainly enjoy bringing it to you guys as often as we can. So, Jimmy, once again, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, brother. No, fun stuff. Can't wait for tomorrow. Two uh, fun positions. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bam on 3 show. 
This is your host, Clint Lamb. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York.